In the employment hour, anytime you want to get a hold of Lior, the number is one 821 5900 and Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. We'll give you details on the severance pay calculator here in just a few minutes, but we always start with a couple cases we call the week that was. Thanks, John, and always a pleasure to be back here. Always uh, enjoyable to talk about workplace rights, employment law, and everything in between. Uh, and uh, to start us off, especially for those that are maybe listening to us for the first time, want to talk about a couple of situations, a couple of scenarios that I uh, came across this past week, because I think some of our listeners may find uh, some some common ground there or some uh, uh, things that they can identify with. So that way, if they're in that, ever that situation, they'll know what to do. The first thing I'll talk to you about came from us, uh, came to us from uh, a website that we have, John. We've talked about it before on the show, terminationquestions.com. Mm-hmm. This is where individuals can post questions anonymously about any anything to do with the workplace, and myself and my colleagues answer those questions. So the question that we received on terminationquestions.com was uh, very simple. Was my employer paid me uh, two weeks termination pay? Do they have to include that in my T4? Uh, a simple question, and, and that's really all the question was. And the answer is yes, they have to. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I saw that, I said, well, wait a second. Uh, my response, yes, they have to, but the real question is, is two weeks enough for you? Why don't you give me a call and let us find out if two weeks, in fact, uh, two weeks termination pay is enough. So the lady did give me a call. She had worked for a company uh, as, a, as a production supervisor uh, for just over th- over two years, two and a half years. I'm making about $65,000, and the company had paid her two weeks' pay. Well, guess what, John? As you know by now, uh, she is entitled to a lot more than that. In fact, I assessed her as being entitled to close to five to six months' mm-hmm. pay. And we, I spoke to her. She was shocked and dumbfounded that she never ever even thought about that. It didn't, it didn't uh, occur to her that she may be owed more than two weeks' pay. And now I'm in the process of helping her get that five to six months pay. And this is a very common situation where people actually contact us about different issues, not understanding that the real issue potentially is the amount of compensation that they're owed. Uh, She called about a T4. And in fact, uh, you know, that's an easy answer, but it turned out they order another another thirty thousand dollars. Wow! So a significant amount, and that's why I like having terminationquestions.com. It allows people sometimes to get answers to questions they didn't even know that they had. Right. So definitely, our, our listeners should go to terminationquestions.com. Uh, email me, call me. Uh, let's uh, let's make sure that you ever you always get what you're owed. What else we got? Uh, the second matter I'll talk to you about, a very different situation. Uh, this gentleman had uh, been hired as an employee on a fixed-term contract for three years. So it was a three-year fixed-term contract that simply said, you know, we, we're going to have you employed until on day three years into the future. The employment agreement uh, that he signed also had a provision that said, if we want to let you go before the end of three years, we can do, the, do that by giving you one week's pay. Ooh. And in fact, what happened about uh, seven months into that agreement, uh, the company had let him go and they said, well, as per that agreement, we only have to give you a week's pay. Here's a week's pay. See, see you later. Have a good life. That's when he called me and he wanted to know if that's appropriate. And it was very interesting because the answer was it's not appropriate. And here's why. That provision, the one that said that an employer can terminate the employment in advance by giving one week's pay, was actually illegal. For reasons I don't need to get into, it breached the Employment Standards Act, which means it's unenforceable. Because it's unenforceable, that left us with the usual rule, that is, with a fixed-term contract. If the employer wants to terminate employment before the end of the contract, it has to pay the balance of the contract. So in this case, it was about two and a, uh, sorry, yeah, about two and a half years' pay that the employer had to pay him. Now, it is very common for employers to have a provision in a fixed-term contract that gives them an early out, but in many cases, it's not enforceable. 
So this is just a very important lesson that you can never assume that something is enforceable. You can never assume that you don't have entitlements beyond what you believe or beyond what your employer is telling you. By him making a call, we found out that that agreement was unenforceable, and he's owed another two and a half years pay. Nice. Huge, huge deal. The difference here is well into the six figures. So uh, again, I always encourage people, don't be shy. Make the call. Let's talk. Let's find out what your entitlements are. Uh, in many cases, if you don't do that, you could be walking away from a lot of compensation that the law says you should have. Severance pay calculator. So uh, we talked about terminationquestions.com. That's a tool that people use to get information. Another tool that we've created, John, as you know, the severance calculator. It's a free tool. It's available at severancepaycalculator.com. And it outlines what someone is owed if, in fact, they lose their job. You input your age, your position, and the length of your employment. And it's going to tell you right there whether you get six weeks pay, six months pay, 24 months pay, or anything in between. It's the easiest, fastest, most accurate way to find out how much you're owed. Uh, if, you're, if you're a bit bashful, you don't want to call me, you don't want to email me, fine. Maybe you're, you're in your bedroom wearing your pajamas, fine. Go to terminationquestions.com, find out how much you're owed. And if you know someone that lost their job, tell them about it. Don't have them accept, don't allow them to accept a severance offer without finding out how much they're actually owed. And the key word there is uh, accurate, right? It is accurate. Most people look at it and they think, oh my God, I, I, it says that I'm owed uh, eight months pay. I thought I'm only going to be owed eight weeks pay. Is that accurate? It is accurate. It is what the law provides. That's why people should use it so that they can avoid any misconceptions. Take a quick break. The number one 821 5900 and Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. We'll get a few emails as the show progresses here. The Employment Hour right here on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. The Employment Hour right here. The number to get a hold of Lior is one 821 5900 and Lior, at employmenthour.com. A few emails coming through throughout the show. want to get into this. So, and uh, I think uh, what we'll discuss uh, the first part of the show today is the top reasons people sign severance offers when they really shouldn't. I'll throw these out to you, and you can expand on each one. The first one is uh, they're in shock and not thinking clearly at the time. Yeah, and it's probably the biggest one, John. The biggest reason why people accept severance offers when they shouldn't without getting proper advice. You know, here, here's the scenario. Here's a common, common scenario. Uh, you come into work. Uh, you think it's going to be a day like no other. You may be thinking already about your weekend plans. You're excited about the coming weekend. It's a Friday. And your employer calls you into a meeting. Uh, you weren't expecting the meeting. Okay, I'll go into a meeting. You see your empl- your, your boss there and the HR person. And, and a cardboard box. Yeah, the cardboard Not good. box. Yeah, and, uh, and a big sign that says, welcome to Dumpville, population you. Uh, <laughs> and, and they tell you today's your last day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you, obviously it's a shock. Immediately you're thinking about, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to find another job? I still have to pay bills. Uh, you know, my wife's not working. Mm. Uh, and then they present you with a paper. In that paper, they offer you some compensation. They offer you some money. Uh, and oftentimes, in, in that state of shock, uh, that, that state uh, where you're really not thinking clearly, you're going to end up often accepting this monetary amount because you don't want to you don't want to prolong this shock. You want to just put it behind you, and then you're yeah. worried about other things. And you're really not thinking in your right mind. This is not the best time to make important decisions. Uh, and a lot of people uh, sign not knowing, and later on when they've calmed down, when they've digested what's happened, they're, they're, they're horrified that they realize that they signed something they shouldn't have signed. They've accepted right. a severance offer that's completely inadequate. So really the message that I'm trying to convey here is, is despite you being in that uh, shock state, and I understand that completely, I'd be too uh, if that happened to me, you have to still think rationally. 
You have to get some advice. You have to understand whether that severance offer is acceptable. In fact, now more than ever, that money is important because you don't have a job. You need that compensation to carry you until you find another position. So, yeah, a lot of people every single day in, in a state of shock, in a state of disappointment, uh, what have you, accept the severance offer. I really, really am discouraging that. That's why I've made it so easy to get the information. You call me. You go to terminationquestions.com. Use the severance calculator. Uh, please don't uh, don't accept an offer otherwise. one 821 5900 is that number. We're talking about the top reasons people sign severance offers when they shouldn't. Uh, they're pressured by the employer. Yeah, another very common reason is that they're being put pressure on. The employer may suggest that they have to sign it. They even The employer may even threaten that if they don't sign by a certain deadline, they're not going to get anything. Uh, and, and, you know, in that sim- same state of shock, someone's putting pressure on you and you're worried about what happens if you don't sign, you'll make a decision that's not the right decision. I completely understand that. So pressure tactics uh, is a very common reason. And again, what I'm going to say now, I've said this before on the show, your legal rights don't expire Tuesday or Friday. In fact, you have two years to pursue your legal rights. So that pressure tactic means nothing. The only time uh, an, an employer could, I guess, put pressure is if they're offering you a lot more severance that they should be offering you, yeah, in which happen. case, yeah, in which case you would <laughs> want to accept before they uh, change their minds. I've been doing this for a long time, John, and I've yet to see a severance offer that's better than what it should be. At, at most, it would be as good as it should be. So please, don't fall for that pressure. Make the right decision. Get some advice and only accept an appropriate severance offer. This one's got to be pretty common as well as far as reasons people sign severance when they shouldn't. And as you know, it's the company. Papa knows best, right? They obviously should know what my severance is, so it's got to be appropriate. Yeah, oftentimes there's that trust, right? Yeah. There's that trust. Well, you know, my employer must be doing the right thing. They must be looking out for me. They must know what their obligations are. So if they say I'm only owed a week's pay for every year that I've worked, well, that must be right, so I'm going to accept that because they won't lie to me. And you know what? In many cases, the employer may not lie to you, but the employer may not actually know or understand or appreciate what their own obligations are. So if your employer believes that they owe you three weeks' pay, uh, they'll, they'll say that, and that could be completely wrong. So, you know, a lot of that times that, that trust, that belief that the employer knows what's right is what governs or what uh, dictates that someone accepts their severance offer. I can tell you right now, John, that in 90% of the cases, 90, and I'm being conservative, when someone is staring at that severance letter, that offer in front of them is not adequate. And it's usually not adequate, adequate to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. So that's why you cannot trust anyone but yourself. You, It's your responsibility to determine what is appropriate, what you're owed. You cannot trust in anyone else to do that for you. So uh, please, very important to keep that in mind. They should just bring it up in their tablet right there during the termination meeting. <laughs> Hang on, guys. Severance pay. Can well, I give, yeah, let me you check go. right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh-uh. I think so. Yeah. You guys yeah. aren't even close. But it's actually that easy. You can actually do that uh, right on your phone, right on your tablet. Uh, it literally takes 15 seconds to use. So there's really no excuse now for someone to say, I didn't know uh, now you can know. Now you can know really easily. I'll drop in a quick email as we go here. A couple minutes away from break. Christina writes in, says my employer has relocated our office a two-hour drive away. I was told that I can get a ride with a colleague, so that I wouldn't have to drive if I don't want to. Do I have to accept this move? Very interesting situation for Christina. So let's break this down. Obviously, if an employer requires an employee now to commute two hours each way, uh, and that's a new new thing, that's a change, that's not something an employer is allowed to do. That results in what we call a constructive dismissal. It's a significant change to the terms of employment. 
That means that Christina would be able to say, no, I'm not going to move or, or uh, commute two hours. I'm going to treat my employment as being terminated and make you employer pay me my full severance. Now, there's a bit of a twist here, I guess, and that is the employer says, tell you what, you don't have to worry about driving. We're going to get Bob, that's your neighbor, to drive mm-hmm. you uh, into work because Bob's going to do it anyway. So you don't have to complain about having to drive. Well, I still don't think that changes the equation. She's still going to have to spend two hours each way uh, commuting and, and, and you know, just getting to and from work. Unless she was spending something close to that before, that would be a significant change. So whether or not she has to drive or someone's going to drive her, to me, that's a significant change. She can decide to accept it, no problem but she doesn't have to accept it. She could treat that as a constructive dismissal. And what happens? She says, okay, then a weekend she realizes, I don't like traveling with Bob four hours a day. And Bob doesn't like traveling with me. By that time, it's too late, right? Yeah, well, accepted it. certainly there's only a very small window for her to pursue this. You know, a week may still be okay. She can kind of, you know, quote unquote, try it out. Right. Uh, but certainly after a few weeks of trying it out, if she still doesn't do anything, then she's deemed to have accepted it. And by then she can't do anything. She can't say, well, you know, a month and a half ago when you told me I have to relocate or, or I'm going to have to commute two hours. With Bob. N- with Bob. I didn't know Bob smelled. and not, now Smoked uh, to the window, so I've got pizza <laughs> crust on the floor. This is not happening. Yeah, I know. He's putting the moves on me. I mean, it's just very <laughs> uncomfortable. So the bottom line is, no, the time to do something about a, a significant change like that is when the employer first implements the change. Yep. The longer you wait, the more you compromise your ability to do something. We'll take a quick break and back into more reasons why people sign severance offers when they really shouldn't. The number 1-855-821-5900 and Lior, L-I-O-R at employmenthour.com for email. The Employment Hour continues on AM640 and AM900 CHML. The Employment Hour right here on AM640 and AM900 CHML. You'll want to get a hold of Lior. It's simple. 1-855-821-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. We continue our discussion. That is the top reasons people sign severance offers when they shouldn't. Um, they get in, oh, how about this one? They get incorrect advice often from the Ministry of Labor or a friend who knows a guy. Yeah, right? and knows a guy or knew someone that was let go. And, right. and this is probably the biggest reason someone accepts an, an inadequate severance offer is they get the wrong information. They, they fall for one of the misconceptions that are out there. Maybe one of them is that you, you only get a week's pay for every mm-hmm. year of service or two weeks' pay for every year of service, both of which are wrong completely. And unfortunately, the Ministry of Labor uh, perpetuates this misconception by not outlining what someone's full entitlements are, by only focusing on a person's minimum entitlements. So if you go to the Ministry of Labor website or you call the Ministry of Labor, you may find out what your minimum entitlements are. You're not going to find out what your full entitlements are. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So please, there's only uh, a few ways to find out what your legal entitlements are. You, You need to speak with an employment lawyer. You don't like me, fine. Don't call me. Call someone else. You need to get some legal advice or... You can go to terminationquestions.com, but you have to get your advice from someone that knows what they're talking about. Ministry of Labor can help you. Your Uncle Bob can help you. And there's too much at stake to not do what you're supposed to do. Reasons why people sign severance offers when they shouldn't. Uh, you know, it could be a situation where there's more one person let go at a company and they compare their severance with someone else that was let go. Yeah. And, you know, well, I know that Joe got uh, two months severance, so it must be fine if I'm getting two months severance or uh, comparisons that way. And I get that all the time. And sometimes people call me and saying, well, you know, Joe got 24 months severance. Why am I only getting 12? 
And again, you cannot compare the, uh, it's not that easy to compare terminations because your entitlements are based on three factors that are unique to you, your age, the length of your employment, and the type of job that you have. Now, there's some other factors that may, may go in, but those are the main ones. So unless you and Joe are the same age, same uh, position, and same length of employment, you're going to have different entitlements. And frankly, let's assume that Joe received two weeks pay or two months pay. Uh, maybe he was owed a lot more. Just because he accepted something doesn't mean that it was right. Uh, and so it's just a very bad idea to start comparing severance that way. Just go to the severance calculator. Much, much easier. one 821 5900 and Lee or at But uh, Bill Redson says, I've been called into a meeting this coming Friday uh-oh, with my boss. I believe, I think they're going to let me go. Is there anything I could do to uh, prepare? Yeah, probably one of the more common questions that I get, John, is someone that's been called into a meeting in advance and they believe that's the end. That the, at that meeting... They're going to be terminated. And they, they uh, obviously no one wants to lose your job for the most part, and they want to know what they can do about it. Uh, and very common question, and the answer is always the same. At the end of the day, there's really nothing that you can do to prevent your employer for terminate, from terminating your employment. There's no legal mechanism available to stop the employer from uh, letting you go, even if there's no good reason. An employer generally can let someone go at any time for any reason as long as proper severance is paid. So maybe a bill didn't do anything wrong, and maybe there's really no good reason. Maybe he's even being picked on. But is the employer allowed to let him go? Yes. Our job will become, if in fact he is let go, is to make sure that he gets proper severance. So not much we could do about termination. There's no way to preempt it. Some employees have even told me, well, what if I go on a medical leave right before they let me go? Well, maybe they won't let me go then. Well, that's not going to work at the end of the day. Maybe they'll wait till you come back, but they're still going to let you go uh, if, if this was already pre-planned. So that, that doesn't make any sense. It is what it is. Unfortunately, the law doesn't allow us to prevent the termination. The law simply allows us to make sure you get the full compensation that you're owed. And you mentioned this before. It doesn't have to be the reason. It's as long as you get the full severance what you're owed. I mean, they may let you go because you drive a gold Corolla. They don't <laughs> like it. I mean, well, it's, I would it's let enough you reason go. for me. But I'd let you go if you drive a gold Corolla. My gosh. But uh, that, that's true. Yeah. I mean, they could, right? That, that is true, and, and an employer really can be arbitrary in its decision uh, and decide to let someone go for no good reason. The exception to that, of course, is an employer cannot let someone go for a discriminatory reason. An employer cannot let someone go because of their age or medical condition or ethnicity or sexual orientation. That's illegal. But short of a discriminatory reason, really the employer doesn't need one. But what the employer has to do is pay severance. The, where the problems arise, as we've said already, is that in most of these cases, the vast majority of these cases, when the employer does pay severance, it's completely inadequate. We're talking about the reasons people sign severance offers when they shouldn't. Uh, they think that it's difficult, long, or even costly to improve their severance off, uh, yeah. offer. Yeah, a huge misconception. Someone may say, well, you know, I, I, I can call Lior, but even if Lior is going to try to help me, it's going to take forever. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's just going to be long and complicated. And who wants that? I may as well just accept what they've offered me and move on. And, you know, that is wrong. In, at least when it comes to an employment law, when it comes to wrongful dismissal, termination of employment, usually these issues are easy to resolve. Oftentimes it could be as easy as us sending your, your former employer a letter and resolve that very, very quickly. It's almost inconceivable for these things to drag on for a lengthy period of time. So unlike other types of legal uh, proceedings that could drag on for a long time, even years, that doesn't apply in employment law. The law here is not complicated. It's not rocket science. I wish I could tell you that you know what I'm, I do, I do because I'm so brilliant. The reality is the law is fairly straightforward. 
okay? And because of that, because of the law straightforward, these issues are, are easy to resolve. And if they're easy to resolve, they're going to resolve quickly. So please don't ever assume that something's going to be complicated. And because of that, walk away from tens of thousands of dollars right. that you're owed. That just makes no sense. Get to one more before we take a break. The top reasons why people sign severance offers when they shouldn't. They don't want to burn bridges with a company that just let them go. Yeah. And, you know, no one likes to burn bridges. And I'm a huge proponent of never, ever burning bridges. I've never burned a bridge if I could help it. And I don't want my clients to burn bridges. And for the most part, when we negotiate proper severance, we do everything possible not to burn bridges, and we're successful at it. We're going to write a very respectful letter to your employer, encouraging them to come to the table with a reasonable offer, making it clear that we want to negotiate in good faith and to resolve it amicably. And in most cases, that's exactly what we're able to do. So I have yet to have a situation where someone said, well, now I've burned my bridges because you're helping me, Lior, and I don't foresee that happening. So someone really should not be worried about that. And certainly, that should not ever be the reason why you accept something that's less than what you're owed. one 821 5900 is the number to get a hold of Lior anytime. And the email just as simple, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. We'll pick it up with an email when we come back after a short break. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. The Employment Hour right here on Talk Radio AM 640 yeah, and AM 900 CHML. It is 1-855-821-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll pick it up with an email. Rebecca writes in, says, uh, I work as, uh, work as a nurse in a non-union medical facility. There have been a number of instances where I was asked to administer medication without proper paperwork from a doctor. This makes me very uncomfortable. What can I do about it? Well, very interesting interesting situation, and I hope I don't go to that uh, medical yeah, right. facility, seriously. So, uh, But I, I've seen this situation arrive in somewhat different contexts, but essentially where the employer is asking or requiring the employee to do something that's either illegal, unethical, or something that would otherwise we'd consider to be inappropriate. Uh, an employer cannot require someone to do something that's illegal, even un- unethical. Uh, and, and that's an implied term in anyone's employment agreement that we're not going to be asked to do something that is wrong, something that's objectively wrong. Mm-hmm. So if in Christina's situation, her employer is telling her, or in Rebecca's situation, I'm sorry, her employer is telling her that uh, she has to uh, do things that are illegal, to administer medication when she's not supposed to, my advice to you is don't do it. Because number one, if you do it, you're liable as well, right. okay? If you administer medication and something goes wrong, guess what? That's your rear end potentially on the line. I would tell your employer very clearly, no, that you're not going to do it. If they penalize you by letting you go, they're going to have to pay some, some consequences for doing that. If they insist and require you to do it still, and that issue comes up again and again, you may be able to treat that, that situation as a constructive dismissal. Your employer is not creating a situation or an environment that makes it difficult for you to continue working. So by being required to do something repeatedly that you're not supposed to or you shouldn't be doing, that, that could be a constructive dismissal. No matter what, though, my best advice in this case for Rebecca is do not accept uh, this. Do not do what they're saying if it's otherwise illegal. Lior at employmenthour.com is the email. Sean says, I was hit by a co-worker at work. He wasn't charged with a criminal offense. Uh, he's still working there, too, and it makes me very, uh, very uncomfortable. What do I do? So, uh, again, uh, another situation that, that makes it very uncomfortable to continue working. If you're, uh, if you're hit, assaulted, uh, and treated inappropriately by someone, and now you still have to see them in the workplace, yeah, that, that's, that's not right. And I think the first thing that uh, has to happen here is that Sean needs to speak to his employer, express his concerns, uh, and, and have the employer do something here. Either uh, you know, remove the employee and, and put that other individual somewhere else, 
or, or give or create some sort of a buffer where, where Sean can actually feel safe. Uh, if Sean was assaulted before, it's clear that there's a good reason for him to feel unsafe at work. And if the situation is not remedied, if there's a reason to keep being concerned, that could be a constructive dismissal right there. And the employer creating another situation that makes it very difficult or uncomfortable for Sean to continue working. I would try to deal with that internally first. Try to deal with the HR, with your employer. Give them the opportunity to fix the problem. If they cannot or will not fix the problem, let's talk. That uh, may be a constructive dismissal. The number, 1-855-821-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. Okay, you know, every every couple of years you feel the need to embarrass me on the air and test me. It's so easy I to embarrass you, school. John. No? I'm a lawyer. Neither you know. did I. No, sorry. <laughs> oh, great. I, I actually did. Thank you. No. All right. Well, listen, we we recently had our three-year anniversary for this show. Three years we've been doing this show. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that doing this show with me week after week, sometimes twice a week, something would have seeped in. You would have learned something. Because if if I can't educate you, then what what hope do I have to to reach our our listeners and and inform them? So So maybe next week you'll do my afternoon drive show on on Q. (laughs) No problem. Okay. Yeah, I'm in. Of course you are. I'm in. Yeah, for sure. As long as I can talk about employment law. Uh, so, so I, I thought that we'll do a little pop quiz and mm-hmm. we'll ask you some questions and, and, and see if some of what I've been talking about over the last few years really has, has seeped in there. And, you know, hopefully our, our, our listeners will follow along and, and, and test and their laugh. knowledge. Yes. Yeah. T- <laughs> laugh at, at John. So this, by the way, so this is John Skoll's answering questions in a second here. John's not the employment lawyer, but he's going to pretend to be for the next minute or so. So, uh, the first question I have. Ministry John- of labor. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. That's not the answer to every question, but I, but I see where you're coming from. Right. So here's the situation. If an employee is off for a long period of time as a result of a medical reason, so he's on a medical disability, when can the employer let the employee go, and what do we call it? Uh, a frustration of contract. Correct. Uh, two years or more. Uh, Am I close? W- well, rather than time, right. when, when, ex- what scenario, what would have to happen? What would the employer have to show to be able to terminate the employee? That there's no way they could accommodate them in the workplace to bring them back? No other job that they could do? Frustration Good. of contract? Frustration yeah. of contract. So let me elaborate. I'll give mm-hmm. you a bit of half pass on this, not a full pass. Better than so- I ever did in school. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Thanks, John. So here's, so here's how it is. So it is a frustration of contract. And the frustration of contract happens in two scenarios. Number one, the employee has to be off for a long period of time. And you're right, mm-hmm. usually two years or more uh, we would want to see before there's a frustration of contract. But second, and just as important, the em- there has to be no real likelihood of the employee ever being able to come back to work. So if the employer can show the employee's been off for a very long period of time and there's no likelihood of them coming back to work on some basis, they can say, fine, frustration of contract, this employment relationship has ended, and because of that, we don't have to pay you your full severance. We may still have to pay you a portion of your severance, right. not your full severance. That's what a frustration of contract is. So I'll give you even like a, a, a three-quarters on that one. That, nice. that was, that, that See, was not close. bad. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. Not bad at all. Bring it on, son. E- next one, I think it's easier. Uh, Tell me or tell us, what does an employer have to do in order to terminate employment for cause? For cause. For cause. They have to show that the employee has done something, or you call it the, the death penalty of the employment relationship. They've you know assaulted someone, they've stolen, done stuff like that, right? 
And what if the employee has not done anything that extreme? What happens then? Then it's not cause. It's termination without cause. And it's uh, they get severance. They get paid severance. Uh, no. Yeah, well, not exactly the answer we were looking You're for. You're not the John, lawyer but, I'm looking for. But, but thanks, <laughs> thanks for playing. So... So termination for cause certainly can happen if an employee is guilty of some one big incident of misconduct, theft, violence, anything like that. Then can be let go for cause yep. without severance. But in many cases, the employee is guilty of some lesser forms of misconduct. And for the employer at that point, if they still want to terminate for cause, they have to build up a case. Get a record going, right? Exactly. Yep. They have to show that there's previous warnings, maybe suspensions, that this is not just a one-off thing, that they've tried to fix the problem. And at some point, they're going to put up their hands and say, what more can we do with this person? So the employer has to build up its case. And what, what you are completely right about is that in most cases, employers are going to pull uh, going to pull the trigger on a termination for cause well before they should, and that makes it a wrongful dismissal. Ninety percent on that one, at least. Okay, uh, one more question. Go ahead. Last one. We'll do it very briefly. Oh no! How many hours a week do you have to work before you get overtime? Forty-four. Forty-four. Boom! Done. Na- nailed it. Thank so that's you. correct. Uh, usually in Ontario, unless you're exempt. Mic drop. <laughs> you're, you're enjoying this way too much, John. Yeah. So, yes, 44 hours a week before overtime is paid. And by the way, remember, even salaried employees are entitled to overtime. Very important. But not managers. Not managers are exempt. Pool cleaners are exempt. I know you you like (laughs) that. Which is the weirdest one. Lawyers are exempt, too, and accountants, et cetera. We'll take a a quick break. Lots more to go here. 1-855-821-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. The Employment Hour right here on Talk Radio, AM640 and AM900 CHML. It is uh, 1-855-821-5900. That's to get a hold of Lior anytime and Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. You got a, a, an independent contractor story before we expand on that whole topic, yeah? Yeah, I got a, I got a call uh, about a week and a half ago from uh, a lady that had worked for a company as a bookkeeper for 15 years. She had a regular job, a, a good-sized company. She worked every single day. She went to the company's offices. She worked 9 to 5. She'd been doing it for 15 years. Uh, she had her phone. She had business cards, all that. Uh, and then the company let her go uh, very recently. And the, the twist on this was that for the entire 15 years that she worked there, she was, co- she was referred to, she was treated, quote-unquote, as an independent contractor. Uh, and the company said, you know, you're not our employee. You're an independent contractor. So now that we let you go, just a restructuring, we don't have to pay you severance because you're not our employee. And for the f- uh, full 15 years, she'd invoice the company. They would not withhold taxes. She, in fact, uh, uh, paid her own taxes. And she asked me, is that right? Do I not get any severance? Well, the answer, of course, was no, that is not right. That's not even close to being right. Of course, you're owed severance because why? Because in the eyes of the law for the 15 years, you were an employee. It doesn't matter what you called yourself or someone else called you. You were an employee. Why? Because you worked regular hours for 15 years. You had a regular job. Uh, if it was as simple as just calling you an independent contractor, anyone could be an independent contractor. Sure, nobody had to pay severance. So so that's not the case. So not only is she owed severance for her, she probably is owed 16 to 18 months of severance. Uh, and I think it, it, that reminded me that this is a topic still that a lot of people still are, are mm-hmm. confused about. People often think that independent contractors don't get severance or it's enough to say that I'm an independent contractor and that does make me an independent contractor. Obviously, that's not the case. So that's what we want to expand on a bit in this, uh, in this segment. Do you think the employer, their side, they were thinking just the tax thing alone made her an independent contractor, that one you know, caveat that they were not deducting taxes? Yeah. And usually when I, when I approach an employer and I say, well, you know, this this person, in fact, is an employee, so you have to pay them severance. Usually the response is, well, no, they're not. We weren't withholding taxes. Right. 
Uh, so, you know, look at our records. We never withheld taxes. Well, that's nonsense. Uh, again, I don't have to withhold taxes. Does that change someone's uh, or my legal obligations? Why would then I withhold taxes for anyone? You know, I have 40 people working in my office. Maybe I'll just stop withholding taxes for all of them. Yeah. And Less paperwork. Makes, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and save money that way because I don't have to pay my employer contributions for EI and CPP. And that doesn't make people independent contractor. In fact, by you not paying taxes means you're doing something illegal as the employer. So by you doing something illegal that now relieves you from your obligations, obviously that's not the case. So it doesn't matter to me who pays, who pays taxes. It's always a question of substance over form. Very important. It doesn't matter how the relationship is referred to. It matters what the relationship looks like, substance over form. So what is defined independent contractor? So independent contractor is someone that's in business for him or herself, someone that has several clients that they work for, where they market their services, and they're trying to get more clients, someone that doesn't have a regular job, someone that comes and goes in there as they please, they're hired for specific jobs in specific instances, they don't work for 15 years, they don't have to work from the office, they have a lot more flexibility and a lot more control than an employee would. So if that applies to you, you have 15 clients and you're marketing your services and you have a, you know you go once a week to do some work for a particular client and then you're working for someone else, then yeah, you may well be an independent contractor. And that means that if the relationship ends, you may not be entitled to severance. In most cases, that's not what happens. You actually have only one person or one company you're working for and you work there exclusively and, and regular hours. If that's what happens, you are an employee in the eyes of the law. doesn't matter if you call yourself something else. If you don't specifically meet that criteria that you just nailed down a moment ago, can you still be an independent contractor? So if you don't meet that criteria, no, you cannot be an independent contractor. If you're, you have to meet that criteria. Now, what's important to understand is that you don't have to meet all the criteria oh, okay. to, to be an independent contractor. So if, uh, if you work for a company for three years, uh, so it's, you know, it's a long period of time, but during that three years, it's not regular, then again, you may well be an independent contractor. So you, you, you can meet even some of the criteria. We'd have to look at the relationship in its totality, the relationship as a whole, to assess whether someone is an employer or an independent contractor. All I'm trying to say, say here is the one thing that does not matter, the one thing that's completely irrelevant is what you call yourself or what someone else calls you. No one cares about that. So Sam, I'm, I'm you know I am calling myself an independent contractor. I've got uh, I do jobs for companies A, B, C, D, and E. But job E is the one that gives me ninety percent of my income. Am I an employee of them or still a contractor? So good question. In many cases, if you spend most of your time doing work for for company E uh, and very very limited time doing work for other the other companies, you may still be considered a, an employee of that wow. company. At worst, you may then be considered what we call a dependent contractor. Uh, which means uh, that you're very closely aligned and connected to that one company do, you do a lot of work for. And because of that, you're not a regular independent contractor. And what's important to understand, at least when it comes to termination and severance, that a dependent contractor is owed severance. In fact, they're owed right around about the same amount wow. that an employee would be owed. So you may not be an employee. You actually may be a contractor, a dependent contractor, and still be entitled to severance. So what's the, what's the lesson here? The lesson is if you lost your position, doesn't matter what the piece of paper says, what it refers to you as, you have to get some advice because you make significant, you may have some significant entitlements. one 821 5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll continue our discussion and uh, go through what it means to be an independent contractor when the show continues right here on AM640 and AM900 CHMO. 
The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and email Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll put you in touch anytime. We're talking about uh, independent contractors, what it means to be one, trying to get through the uh mired in misconceptions about the whole thing about independent contractors. So does it matter if you have your own company? Yeah, very uh it's a common situation. Someone may actually be billing uh, the company they work for through their own company. They've incorporated uh, and they bill them and, and say, well, you know, does it, does it change anything? Does the fact that I have my own incorporated company, does that now make me an independent contractor? The answer is absolutely not. It's wow. extremely easy to incorporate. You pay about 1000 bucks, you fill out some paperwork, and guess what? Voila, you've incorporated. If it was as easy as that to become an independent contractor, again, everyone that's willing to spend 1000 bucks or so would be an independent contractor. It doesn't matter. Again, substance over form. If you are an individual and you work for a company, regular hours, full-time, uh, and, and under their supervision, etc., you're an employee. It doesn't matter if you have your own company. It doesn't matter who bills uh, the company that you work for. Again, substance over form. Having a company, an incorporated company, does not change the analysis in any way. So all the phone calls and cases come across your desk. How common is it to see an employee that is mischaracterized as an independent contractor? It is extremely common. <laughs> it is extremely common. I don't think a day goes by when I, when I don't talk to someone or someone in my office doesn't speak to someone who is uh, in that situation where they've been referred to or treated or believe that they are an independent contractor when they're in fact they are not. Very common. And for many people, that could be the difference between full severance uh, and, and zero severance, no severance. A very, very common situation. In fact, most people that call me with that issue asking me, am I really an independent contractor or am I something else? From almost all of them, the answer is you're something else. You're either an employee or a dependent contractor. Uh, usually when you're an independent contractor, you know that you're an independent mm-hmm. contractor. If you're wondering if you are, it probably means that you're not. Uh, so, you know, if you're a, if you're a plumber going into, from house to house, you know, doing plumbing work, you're an independent contractor and you're not going to be wondering if you are. If you're wondering, it probably means you're not. So does or when does an independent contractor get severance? Well, an independent contractor uh, gets severance if, in fact, they are an employee in the eyes of the law. That means that when uh, their position comes to an end, we're going to look at the three usual factors, their age, their position, and their length of their employment. And on that basis, uh, we will know how much compensation, how much severance that they're owed. The same applies if they're a dependent contractor. And uh, so the same rules apply. The severance calculator also works for uh, independent contractors that are really employees uh, and uh, in many situations, in fact, in almost every situation where a company believes wrongly that it has an independent contractor, when they let that independent contractor go, they're going to feel that they don't have to pay severance. So every single time when someone says, I lost my job and I'm a, an independent contractor, I know for a fact in that situation, the person either didn't get any severance or got, or got pennies on the dollar. Right. So you've got employees, you've got independent contractors, you briefly mentioned dependent contractors to find it. Yeah, so dependent contractor is someone that's not an employee, so someone that still has more flexibility uh, than a regular employee. Maybe they work for more than one company, but they get a substantial portion of their income from one company. They're economically dependent on that one company. So if you get a substantial portion, I'm going to say you know probably 40% or more from, a, from one company, clearly you're dependent on that company. If that that contract ends, mm-hmm. you're going to have a problem because you just lost 40, 50, 60, 80% of your income. So in that situation, if you're a dependent contractor, then and that 
position ends, you're going to be owed severance very much in the same way as an employee would be owed severance. Uh, so you actually may not be an employee and still get a heck of a lot of severance. So in the last 30 minutes or so, we've been talking about independent contractors, and maybe we pull the veil back on people who are listening going, you know what? I think I might be an employee this entire time. I thought I was an independent contractor. A, what should they do? B, what happens if they lose their job? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing that uh, someone has to go, uh, the analysis they have to go through is to determine whether, in fact, they are an employee or independent contractor or a dependent contractor. And, and as self-serving as this sounds, the only way to know that, the only way to understand that is to get some legal advice from an employment lawyer. Uh, the Ministry of Labor can help you with that. Your Uncle Bob can help you with that. You can't can, uh, go online or on a message board and get that information because it's unique to every situation. So you get some legal advice, and if we determine that you are, in fact, not an independent contractor, either you're an employee or a dependent contractor, then we can deal with how much severance you're owed and how much money we go about getting it. So if you are a, an independent contractor, quote-unquote, uh, but you're not sure if you are and your employer is letting you go and offering you some form of compensation, the same rules that we've talked about before applies. Don't accept. Don't sign off on anything until you've gotten that, that legal advice. Use the severance calculator. Give me a call. Let's have a chat and let's determine what you're, let's determine what you are actually owed. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Well, you just you, you mentioned the three words I know you love to talk about, so we'll close with that. And that is misconceptions and all this uh, this wording. The Ministry of Labor. Let's get yeah. into them for a moment. You know, I, every once in a while when we do the show, I go off on a bit of a rant on the Ministry of Labor, and uh, you know, I think it's warranted because uh, in many cases the Ministry of Labor misleads people, not intentionally. I, I want to make it clear: no one misleads individuals intentionally, but they they still end up misleading individuals when an individual is call ask, calling asking them about severance by only telling the individual what their minimum entitlements are, not what their full entitlements are. And the problem with that is if you're, you're going to tell someone, here's what your minimum entitlements are, you should say, these are just your minimum entitlements. You may have additional entitlements. Not too hard. They don't do that. Right. They simply say, you're owed a week's pay for every year of service, full stop. What they're not doing is they're not finishing the sentence by saying, your minimum entitlements are a week's pay for every year of service. You may be owed a lot more than that, and for that you should get legal advice somewhere else. So the Ministry of Labor cannot help an individual. I've had so many cases, so many situations over the years where someone calls me after they've accepted a severance offer because of bad advice they received from the Ministry of Labor. Don't let that happen to you. The Ministry of Labor can help you with overtime, vacation pay. They cannot help you if you lost your job. For that, you have to get legal advice or you just go to severancepaycalculator.com. And to close, how does that work? So you, you go to the website, severancepaycalculator.com, or you can download the app on iPhone uh, and Android. And uh, that's it. You have that app there. It's handy. It's in your pocket when you need it. Uh, and when, if you do need it, maybe you've just wondered what would happen, what would, you'd be owed if you were let go. Maybe you were just called into that meeting and let go. Uh, you, go to, uh, you go to the app, you go to severancepaycalculator.com, and you find out in about 15 seconds how much you are owed. And now, now you know. You take that, you compare it with what you've been offered, and you know if you're looking at an appropriate severance package or not. And if you're not looking at an appropriate package, there's a little green button there. Mm -hmm. You can just click that button and you can send me an email or contact me that way. It's free, it's anonymous, it's extremely easy to use. Uh, literally tens and tens of thousands of people have used it over the past couple of years. Uh, I encourage everyone to do it and tell others about it. And if you have any other questions now that the show is done, you can go to terminationquestions.com as well. There's a lot of stuff that's already been asked there. Absolutely. We're always available to answer questions. You know, you may be bashful. It's, it's free. Uh, it's anonymous. 
TerminationQuestions.com. We'll answer you usually within a few minutes. Done for another week. The uh, contact as we close, uh, Lior's number, 1-855-821-5900. And always the email is Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. This has been the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.